that sound is. That's the sound of Philadelphia Sports Talk brought to you on 610 ESPN Philadelphia. You know, we've had such a good time here doing some Crossing Broad Radio. Of course, Crossed Up, a Phillies podcast which ran from August through the end of the Phillies season when it mercilessly, thankfully, ended. Mercifully. What I say? Mercilessly? Mer- mer- Merciless. Mercy. Doesn't even matter at this point. Uh, and then Snow the Goalie Radio premiered last week. We just had a blast doing that. And now Crossing Broadcast, which is our Every Philly Sport podcast. It's like a variety hour. It is. Yeah. You know, we like to sometimes call it the 7 for 7 podcast. Uh, there's only there's really only two major stories in town that we need to talk about. And I'm sure that San Filippo over there really would like to talk about the Philadelphia Fusion. You can... Of course, call in with your fusion questions, I guess, if you have them at 888-728-9941, or your Philadelphia Union questions as they have a playoff game this week. But no, let's not talk about the team from the summer that actually made the playoffs, the Philadelphia Union. Let's talk about the team that finally decided to part ways with their manager, Gabe Kapler. One of you liked Gabe Kapler. The other likes that he's gone. So let's get into it, because uh, there have been some names thrown about, and I actually have an opinion or two on those names. But first, let's talk about the long saga, the week-plus saga of John Middleton taking his private charter all around the United States of America to go find information that he could have done over the course of a 162-game season. Gents, how are you feeling about Gabe Kapler being let go? Oh, well, you want me to start this, Bob? Absolutely. Come on, go you're, ahead. you're the Phillies writer, The floor man. is yours. Well, first of all, I mean, I th- it's the right decision, to, to, but it's not the only. It, it, there needed to be more. Wrong. There needed to be more. Going to go Trump on us? Wrong. No, there needed to be more. There needed. They needed to get rid of the general manager and the president. That wasn't as the well. question. I was going to get to that. But, Don't jump ahead. I'm sorry, I'm, you're asking me my opinion. How do you feel about Gabe being gone? Uh, they needed to make a change in the dugout. Yes. Yeah, I mean, uh, we've had this conversation now for weeks and weeks and weeks. It has been the story because they've been a non-competitive team, uh, really down the stretch. And I get it. I mean, at this point, and we, we said it all along. I understand why they made a change. I, I wouldn't have done it. I think that he was not given the proper tools. I don't think that he had a pitching staff that could reach the postseason. I don't understand how the team's philosophy throughout the course of the year was, quote-unquote, if we don't, we don't, in reference to making the playoffs. And then you turn around and you say, well, because we didn't make the playoffs and because we only won 81 games, we're going to axe the manager. And then you turn around and... Again, we'll get to this in a minute. You left the other two guys, and so that's where I jump off. I told you before, if you're going to part ways with Gabe Kapler, then so be it. But the changes need to be made across the board. And they didn't do that, and I don't understand it. And it's what made them look absolutely ridiculous on Friday afternoon. Yeah, I don't know how they're, they're going to move forward with this, Bob. Because what became glaringly evident on Friday afternoon is Matt Klintak has... No power. He's been neutered. He has That's the no word. He power. has been neutered. None whatsoever. And so to sit there and say, we're going to go interview this candidate and this candidate, and this candidate. we're going to get into the candidates that they're going to interview because they have a median age of 64. 70-year-old um, <laughs> Dusty Baker bringing the electricity <laughs> nothing, to Citizen Bank Park. Nothing says um, reignite the fan base quite like a, an but, AARP. But regardless, I mean, you look at the first. I mean, well, all right, let's just bring it up right now because if you look at the three names that they're going to interview, that's been reported today, they're going to interview Dusty Baker, uh, uh, Joe Girardi, and um, Buck Walter. Okay, how do any of the three of them fit the philosophy that Matt Klintak has tried to uh, instill into this organization? 
And the answer, the, the, it's a, it's a rhetorical question, right? Because the answer is th- they don't. They don't fit. Didn't they call uh, Joe Girardi in, in New York? What did they call him? Binder Joe? Yeah. So, I mean, like, the idea is that he did play by the numbers at times. He took a lot of crap for it when he was there, especially yeah. early on in his tenure. I, I don't know. I think that what we saw the other day was that there are conflicting philosophies now within the Phillies front office. You know, John Middleton can say, like, well, I was the one that funded the analytics department. And, you know, Matt is is still – he still has power. He still has a voice. And I'm sure he has some voice. But it just became very obvious that John Middleton is making the calls here. And it's going to not be a – it's not going to be a perfect fit here. Right. They're going to go old school, and they're going to try to blend it with what the organization has been, been attempting to do over the last three or four years since they've gone down this path. I just – I don't understand it. And there's a lot of talk out there like, will they be able to go get their Joe Girardi? Can they go get a Buck Showalter? I think that they will be able to do it. You know, if the the contract makes sense and that manager's given proper assurances about how they're going to spend and what they're going to acquire or what the game plan is here, I do think they'll be able to go out and get the guy. I just don't know how an organization can function effectively when it's so painfully obvious that the baseball people and the owner, I mean, it was clear as day. Matt Clentak didn't want to fire Gabe. I mean, he spoke glowingly of him, even at the press conference. Right. And it was just, I went out and I tried to justify it and I couldn't do it, so I fired him. You can't proceed like that. You asked, you know, what, you said, oh, well, Matt will have a little bit of say on something. You know what he's got say on? The $2 million reliever that uh, John Middleton doesn't want yeah, to know Yeah, I about. only make the important decisions, John Middleton said, you know. <laughs> That's and, the one that he gets paid for. <laughs> As a CEO. As I mean, a CEO. He, he, you know what my takeaway was? He made it very clear that he is the CEO. He makes the big-time decisions. And do you feel confident about that? So here's the thing with that. And, and I know he's getting killed. And I understand why people are killing him because it was it was so it was so poorly executed. It was one of the worst press. pre-planned press conferences yes. I've ever seen. Yes. They had days to prepare to talk for about this. No, I'll say I was down there. Yeah, and I I didn't feel good about what I was listening to. Right, yeah. and I didn't know if it was just me. Was it just my opinion? And I'm looking around during this press conference, and I made eye contact with quite a few notable people down there, and they all sort of had the same facial expression. Yeah. It was all kind of just bewilderment. It, it was it was it was poorly planned. Okay, but I will say this: I, I did the one thing that Middleton did do that kind of made me feel a little bit okay was he gave you the the process. He kind of told you this is how this is going to work. And and here's what we did. We sat down. We talked about it. They gave, they said to me, you know, there was we were at an impasse, and so when we get to an impasse, it's my job to kind of resolve the impasse. Whether you agree or disagree with that is fine, but the fact is, is at least he kind of told you that this is how it, this is how it works. So I at least have an understanding now that okay, the, this is how the Phillies operate. So now we know moving forward. When a decision is made, we can sit there and say, this is how it came about. There's no doubt about it, right? The one thing I will say is this. You don't, you know, I called him, and it's funny because I had, you know, I, I put it in Slack, but I mentioned it to a few other people, and it went out on other radio stations now, and I got credit for it, and people were talking about it. I called him John Metalton, right? All right. So clever. John, John. <laughs> I called him John Metalton. Um, but there are, 
situations in the history of sports where meddling owners have been successful. And so it makes you wonder. I mean, there's also, there's also situations where meddling owners have been yeah, a disaster. The Flyers won all those championships in the 80s, the 90s, no, the 2000s. But they were, this but they were there. Dallas Cowboys yeah, they were, have they been were, absolutely yeah. fantastic yeah. in the hey, last 15 yeah. years. But, yes. but they have won. Okay. Yes. I mean, Al Davis won. Jerry Jones won. Ed Snyder won. George Steinbrenner won. I mean, you could go through it, but you could also look at Dan Snyder, for example. Yeah, and, and, and also the guys that we just mentioned total, haven't done it in at least total train wreck. 25, 25 years, years, you know? Yeah, well, again, I, I get it. The tag team. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Take I, that. <laughs> I get it. But it, but th- it doesn't mean that it, do- it can't happen, okay? It doesn't mean that it can't happen. All right. That doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it that John Middleton is going to st- find a way to, to do it. But it, it, it doesn't, it, you can't just completely dismiss it either. Go ahead. Wankel's really excited to get in. I, I have. Go ahead. Yeah, do you, do you have I, to I will just say this. Okay, this is what, and I agree. He he gave you some insight into the process, and that's that's cool. I I appreciate that. Here's my problem. He's asked the money question. The question of the day is why are the guys sitting to your left? And you're right, still here. And he had days to think about how he was going to answer this question. And he's asked the question. And he looks down at his cell phone, and he's scrolling through it. And I'm thinking that he's going to just come out with some bomb. Like, you know, I I knew you were going to ask that, or I knew you were going to ask that, and I have the perfect response. And then he looks the person who asked the question in the face and says, did you know that we had the fourth best ERA in baseball? (laughs) From the trade deadline onward. And then I said to myself, okay, this is the guy that is making the decisions for this team. Like, that was his response. I don't know what's more concerning, that honest. he actually thought that or that he had time to prepare I'll, and that was his answer. I'll tell you the one thing that disappointed me from the, from the meet, and I thought in, as a whole, I thought that the group, your, your group of you guys down there did a great job asking questions. I really do. I think for the, as a whole, I thought the good, they were all good questions. I didn't think there was anything that was kind of BS, right? I wish someone would have come back to that because that question, it, it went off the rails. It wasn't quick. even answered. It wasn't it was answered. So it, went off, it, it wasn't answered. And then the follow up to it kind of made it go off the track a little bit. And so then it just, ne- and it never, it somehow never got back to it. But I, I really wish someone would have followed up and, and would have said, Hey, no, John, you didn't really kind of yeah, so, answer that. So question. Matt Clentax's here because he found Mike Morin and Blake Parker. Well, I mean, that's. I mean, uh, give me a break. Yeah, exactly. uh, don't forget so, about their three top 100 prospects too. I know uh, you got to be. <laughs> so then, can we? Let, let's. And have their 17.8 WAR of off-season guys, right? Yeah, is that really what they're referencing? Like, are they looking at WAR? Is is that what they're doing? Like, are you looking at Baseball America's and MLB Pipeline's top 100 and war? Is that how you're making your major decisions? Lennox should have had the sound drop ready. War, oh. what is it good for? Absolutely yeah. nothing. Yeah. Um, let's just have this really brief conversation because a few months ago, when Bryce Harper was signed, people seemed elated and, and thrilled by the concept that John Middleton was involved. Right, Middleton had maybe the highest stock of any owner in the city. I mean, there were there were people, and it happened in our Slack as well, where we talked about it's great to have somebody who's passionate. It's great to have somebody who doesn't sound like a total you know a, a total moron when they're up on the stage because I, that to me I think is one of the biggest problems is anytime there's a, an opportunity for an owner, at least in this city, to go out and put themselves in front of the cameras, in front of the microphones. I think a lot of times it, it would actually be better if they don't show their face at all, if they just kind of operate as like a shadow broker. 
and have a minority owner or somebody else around the team that's better versed in, in public relations come out and speak as the figurehead of the team. Middleton was passionate, and so we were thrilled about it. But I think this press conference kind of showed that he, much like a Josh Harris or a Dave Scott, although I think Dave Scott actually, oddly enough, kind of comes off the best uh, in recent memory what? Of, of, uh, of owners. These guys should not be in front of the media because for a great moment as Middleton had at the Bryce Harper press conference at the the reveal, my God, did he come off terribly. The reveal. Yeah. He came off uh, I mean, he, he came off seemed beyond his horribly. depth. Now, I, I'll say this. I agree with you in the sense that I can't think in this amount of time somebody's you know star falling this much from from when you go back to March people love this guy I mean he was he was a hero to now people are wondering does he have any clue whatsoever what he's doing and I think it's a fair question now to be fair though if they have a good off season and they win baseball games in 2020 we're going to say hey you know what revisionist history he was right. He did the right thing. It's not like the Phillies are buried here, but for a team that has developed a, a PR problem, I think in, in this this season in particular, they did themselves no favors on Friday, and and that's a concern. And you, we have to react to to what's in front of us. I mean, maybe they get this thing right. Maybe he decided I'm going to go out and I'm going to take the heat. I'm going to be front and center. I'll fall on the sword. I'm going to protect my baseball guys here, and I'm going to run the show and, and take a, the brunt of the blame. That's a problem, though, isn't it? Like, what did, what does Andy McPhail get paid to do? Because Andy McPhail is the guy who supposedly has the track Develop record, right? Develop a plan is what he He's said supposed to be the guy process. who should have the PR training. He's the guy who's been in front of the cameras for decades. Shouldn't he be the one who's out? I get that, that Middleton yes. has to be there because you let go of the coach. But shouldn't McPhail have been the leading voice yes. in this press conference? Absolutely. Yes. You're, you're not wrong with that. Um, the one thing I will say is this. If anyone thinks that any owner in, of any professional sports team is not intimately involved with major decisions for their organization, they're fooling themselves. Okay, so just because John Middleton came out and and declared it, announced himself the CEO, and this is what CEOs do, and this is how it's going to be, and this is what my job is, blah, 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 just because he made a big thing out of it, it is what it is. I mean, that's the way it is in, with every team and every sport. I, I would tell you, I will tell you that Jeff Lurie is involved in every major decision, whether it's you know, d- d- should we you know bring back Nick Foles at twenty million dollars? Should we hire Doug Peterson? Should we like whatever, whatever the job is? And I get it. If you're going to spend three hundred and thirty million dollars on a player, yeah. the owner is going to be involved in that. Yeah, I, I understand that. Yeah. But when you if if the way that this progressed was that the baseball people. Matt Clentak specifically was adamant that, you know, hey, Gabe's the right guy. We're going in the right direction. Give this another year. And there were other voices in that front office that felt the same way. And then he comes in and says, no, I can't do it because, again, uh, I'm looking at at our market, the market realities. That's the, that, you know, and that was a, that was the most damning thing for a guy that spoke what nine to ten minutes. I think <laughs> Matt Klintak, he, he didn't have to say a lot, but he said enough with that right there. That was that told you why that told you why Gabe Kapler was fired. Yeah, because people didn't like him. It told you why because they know they would not have sold tickets okay. if they if they come back with we're going to trot out the same three, Gabe, uh, Matt, and and Andy McPhail. Uh, they're going to be the same people in charge next year. The fans would have been like, see ya. Well, and, and we this spend, is what's going to be money. interesting, though, because, I mean, Middleton said it straight up. He says, I was the one 
it was me in the bucks, I think he said, that mm-hmm. invested in the analytics department. This is here to stay. This is where we're going. So it'll be funny now to see how we talk about analytics moving forward. Was this really just all about Gabe Kapler and analytics, or was it about analytics? Because I think that people just lumped the two together and just associated Gabe with this. Well, and, and it's not going anywhere. Not- They're not going to do anything differently through that organization. This is what they're doing. Yeah, no, you're you're not wrong. But uh, the the thing of it is, is that I I think that no matter who the who the next manager is that comes in here, they're automatically going to be a little bit more. They're, they're going to use the analytics. You have to, right? We agree on this. But they're going to they're not going to make every decision based off of what the analytics department told you in advance. They're not going to pitch to Freddie Freeman because he's nine for forty-one lifetime against Aaron Nola, with second and third. They're going to put him on base. That's the that's the difference, and I think that's what you're that's what you're going to find the difference between. Yeah, they'll still use analytics. They're still going to shift. They're still going to pull the cards out of their pockets. They're still going to pitch up and probably going to still pitch up in the zone a bit, right? Maybe not as much as they did with Chris Young, but I guarantee you they're still going to try and throw fastballs top of the zone. How's all that Cole going to feel about that? All that stuff's going to still happen. It's just that I think that they will play it situationally. And I think that will be the difference between Gabe Kapler and whoever the new manager is. Do you have a preference, either of you, on that new manager? Well, can, l- let me just throw this, these numbers at the people. So the three names that we mentioned off the top were Joe Girardi, Buck Showalter, Dusty Baker. For their career, win-loss percentage. Joe Girardi's got a 554 win percentage career. Dusty Baker's got a 532 win percentage career. Buck Showalter, 506 for his career. Oh, and by the way, the last two years, not that I'm saying Baltimore was ever any kind of a, uh, a juggernaut, 75 and 87 and 47 and 115 to, to end his, his career. Yeah, I, if I had a preference, I would go Girardi because I think he's the one that gets you um, – that gets you probably the best balance of the analytics and uh, and 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 the which call it and and if and, public and, perception matters, the eye test, which right? it or, very much seems to yeah. with this organization right now, it's Girardi's probably the the person that's going to get the fan base most excited. I don't know what you can it, uh, really assess of any of these guys, though. Like, Girardi was the Yankees manager in an era in which they were spending bonkers money. You know, just... Were they spending stupid money? Yeah, they were spending stupid money. And even Dusty Baker, those last two years, his two seasons with the Nationals, he had 95 and 97 wins. He got knocked out in the first round each of those two years, and that's why he's not there. But, I mean, those Nationals teams were all in spending a ton of money. The money has to be spent properly. It doesn't matter who's managing the team if the money is not spent properly. And that's the bottom line. Yeah. No, you're not wrong. As somebody who's a fallen away fan, which I I hate to admit, but like, you know, I I think Anthony, a lot of times, you know, we like to try to talk about Flyers fans from the the idea of like the apathy and trying to get a perspective on, on how they feel from a distance or how fallen away fans feel. As somebody who used to watch the Phillies 162 games a year, plus every game of spring training, and now maybe watches the team 40 games a year all the way through, maybe catches parts of like 80 games, the only name on that list that 
intrigues me in any way is Joe Girardi. Like, if the idea is to run out Buck Showalter, that doesn't inspire confidence. If the idea is to run out Dusty Baker, that doesn't inspire confidence. Joe Girardi, at least, you can go back to recent World Series success. Let me ask you guys this, though. Is there the possibility that they're playing the long game here, that John Middleton is playing three-dimensional chess? They're throwing the names Buck Showalter and Dusty Baker out there to catch fan ire, to get some kind of support for Joe Girardi, but really because they have a couple other names in mind that might have been in some way, shape, or form considered controversial the same way that Gabe Kapler was. Could that be part of it? It's a misdirect. It's a switch in as no. go? No. No. I okay. think that they're they're almost – this is a very transparent process. I think that they want to get a guy that, that has a reputation, that is established. That's the direction they're going to go. And they want to do it quickly. And they will move quickly. That's I why they met with, with two guys today. Yeah. Two guys in one day. Yeah. Today. They want to get it done. They need, they want this person in place so that they can sell tickets so that they can reach out to free agents. They want it all. They want to, they want this whole mess to be over with as quickly as they can. And I guess this can be the closing thought if we're moving on past the Phillies. You can go get Joe Girardi. That's great. You go get, you could reincarnate Sparky Anderson. It, it doesn't matter if Nick Pavetta's coming back, if Zach Eflin's coming back, if Vince Velasquez's coming back, if Drew Smiley or Jason Vargas is in this rotation next year. It does not matter. So if you want to get the fans on board, you've got to fix your starting rotation. You can't win with these guys. I not have, all of them. I have one final thing that I want to throw to Bob. So Gabe's interviewing in San Francisco and Chicago. What do you think that means? I think that Gabe is going to resurface. It may not be this offseason. It might take a year or two, but he's going to resurface. Uh, I am willing to bet. Maybe we can make a gentleman's, you got a gentleman's bet on okay. this. That within the first two seasons of wherever Gabe Kapler lands next, he will reach the postseason. Within two seasons? I can't take the bet until I see where he lands. It depends. I mean, if he ends up with a team that has... You know, burgeoning talent. I mean, you know, he would have to screw it up. Right? I just think it's but interesting it's, that that he was perceived as this dumpster fire here. But San well, Francisco, pretty good organization. Yeah, but here's the thing. Here's Chicago what Chicago Cubs, pretty good yeah, organization. I, I, I think the Cubs thing is a ruse. I think the I think the Giants. He's getting he's getting interviewed out there because he's friendly with Farhan Zahidi, right? Mm. All right. I think Chicago wants Girardi. Okay. And I think Chicago is basically going is interviewing Gabe to make it look like, oh, you're going to go interview in Philly? We'll interview Gabe. Time will tell. And I think that that's I think that's a ploy. Time you want to talk about tell. ploys? I think Chicago interviewing Gabe Kapler is a ploy. You know, you guys were talking about making a bet. Thanks to our friends and our new sponsor, FanDuel Sportsbook, they offer a $500 risk-free bet to new users. And while that risk-free bet is an amazing deal, it's just the beginning because, of course, if you've checked out the FanDuel Sportsbook app. They offer awesome promos, including bet insurance, where you happen to lose in a, in a tight bet and get your money back. Uh, they run a promotion of the, uh, the NFL, where if your team loses by six points or less, you can get back up to $50 on a bet. So who doesn't like having a yeah. little bit of insurance Johnny from on around bet? the corner is not doing that for you. Yeah, there you go. Hey. Now he wants his VIG. Yeah. So <laughs> the thing that I guess we would tell people is make sure that you head over to FanDuel.com slash sportsbook and use our promo code CB, as in crossing broadcast. Again, that's promo code CB at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. If you're in New Jersey or PA, it's a great thing to do. Bob, I think you uh, you had something that people should maybe consider. 
Yeah. Listen, that on. Little Thursday night football action. Oh. Chiefs struggling Kansas City Chiefs and the Denver Broncos. It's uh, Thursday night in Denver. Denver uh, kind of resurrecting their season last two weeks. Back-to-back wins after an 0-4 start. Defense playing very well. Only 13 points allowed over the last two games combined. But... I like the Chiefs mm. on Thursday night to bounce back, and I have two reasons why. Number one, Chiefs are 18-9 and nine against the spread as a road favorite under Andy Reid, and I love this one. Ready for this? little knowledge for you here. Road teams that are on a two-game losing streak, favored by four points or less, are 7-0-1 against the spread in Thursday games. So this is a good spot for Kansas City I, off I, of two bad losses. And just to support him real quick with this, Andy Reid, and we know this from when he was here in Philly, always prepares for division games weeks out. Weeks out. So you sit there and say, oh, well, he only has four days before this Denver game. Uh-uh. He's been preparing for this Denver game for a while. So it, I, I kind of agree with you that the Chiefs are the play on Thursday. So recap that again, Bob. Chiefs are money on the road uh, as a favorite under Andy Reid, 18-9 and against the spread since he's been there. And 7-0-1 against the spread are teams in Thursday night games coming off of two consecutive losses. So it's a good situational spot. Chiefs perform well in this spot. And uh, I see a bounce back for him on Thursday night. That's great betting knowledge out of you, Bob. I, Always. I bet people could go check your stuff out over on CrossingBroad.com where you... Uh, and leave nasty you comments. T- where you tend to uh, to have some great betting previews. Of course, the number one thing for everyone to do right now is go download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. Whether you're in New Jersey, Pennsylvania, it doesn't matter. Go over to FanDuel.com slash Sportsbook. Put in the promo code CB, as in Crossing Broadcast, CB. First online wager only. Refund issued as site credit. Site credit expires after 14 days. Go to sportsbook.fanduel.com for full terms. Must be 21 or older and present in New Jersey or Pennsylvania. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. So I think we want to switch over to some football talk now, right? To the National Football League. Especially after that wonderful Philadelphia Eagles contest yesterday. And joining us on the line. Ooh is one of the uh, regular co-hosts of the Crossing Broadcast who uh, couldn't be in studio today but uh, did a t- you know 10 takeaways of that Eagles dreck against the Minnesota Vikings Kevin Kincaid joining us on the phone the machine what's up Kev gentlemen how we doing it's uh, it's great to be with you on a monday night in in philadelphia or sitting in my house i guess i should say <laughs> your sincerity is really coming through <laughs> So Kevin right. did the uh, the ten takeaways. The man I believe wrote up twenty four hundred words that you can find over at crossingbroad.com. He's, he's challenging me for length right now. Well, you know the, right. the difference, of course, between Kincaid's writing and the San Filippo writing is San Filippo writes a sentence and then hits hits enter, starts <laughs> a new paragraph. Kincaid will hit you with a block of text, <laughs> just the way we like it. Kevin, of course the. Uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, I mean, I, I thought that they were going to come out victorious against the Vikings. I thought that the ghost of Vikings past was going to, uh, it was going to come back to, to haunt them once again. But Carson Wentz, who has now somehow been met with uh, plenty of criticism, at least by the Eagles postgame live crew, which we'll get to in a little bit, they came out and uh, they, they had a dud performance. What stood out to you the most in this game? Uh, not Carson Wentz, that's for sure. Uh, you know, if you're asking me what the problem is, he's down in the six, seven, number eight range. But 
I made the mistake of wading into the uh, Nick Foles and Carson Wentz debate somehow today. Um, so I'll try not to do that next week. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I guess you got to start with the secondary, don't you? You know, if, if, if Jalen Mills and Ronald Darby and Cravon LeBlanc and Avante Maddox are all out there, you know, I mean, you know, do, do those guys improve the situation? Yeah, they probably do. Um, yeah, but they're not there. So you got Rasul Douglas. Yeah, playing 10 yards off. You got Sidney Jones, who looks like he's in his own head. You got Craig James as a backup. I mean, you want to try Orlando Skandrick. You know, and, and the thing that exacerbates the problem, too, is that some of the mistakes yesterday were made by the two veteran safeties. Yes, it was the whole defensive backfield as a whole. As a whole. It was the entire secondary. It wasn't just the young, younger, inexperienced or backup corners or anything like that. I mean, Doug Peterson basically came out today and said that they blew a quarter's coverage because um, Rodney McLeod kind of got frozen. Actually, it was a really nice play by, by Minnesota on the on the second digs touchdown, or on the first digs touchdown. On the second one, they were playing single high safety, and Malcolm Jenkins was back there for some reason. When he's typically the strong safety, he's down on the line, he's up in the box, and Rodney McLeod is hanging back. So they had single high safety. Both corners got beat deep. And uh, I just don't know what they're doing schematically. I mean, generally... You know, you think when you have, like, kind of, uh, when you're all banged up and you don't have the ideal personnel out there, just keep it simple, right? Just like kind of dumb it down and play, play to your, play, play the most basic thing you can and just try to, like, keep, keep it as, as easy as possible. But I don't know, man. It just seems like a combination of a lack of talent, um, you know, some, some breakdowns. I don't think they're being put in the right positions to begin with. And certainly, you know, being put in a bad position in terms of providing bulletin board material as uh, Zach Brown happened to do going into yeah. this game, saying that Kirk Cousins was probably the weakest part of the Vikings' offense. Unfortunately, you want to talk about weak, I guess uh, Zach Brown's status with the Philadelphia Eagles is quite weak. As a matter of fact, it's non-existent. Breaking news, Zach Brown has been released by the Philadelphia Eagles. <laughs> you know, somebody just messaged the uh, Crossing Broad feedback like tips for him, and it said, Zach Brown is cut. The Eagles just can't get a hold of him yet. So uh, apparently this guy is right, and I'm going to have to – did he leave an email? No, he didn't leave an email, unfortunately. So we're going to have to find a way to track him down because this guy obviously has a source. But, uh, yeah, not uh, not Zach Brown, the singer, but Zach Brown, the linebacker. Uh, what does it put, mean? He, he can put his toes in the water now. So I have a, a quick question about this, Kevin, and I, I know that we're all kind of just digesting this one on the fly here. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Nigel Bradham. Uh, you know, left in a walking boot yesterday, and yeah. I mean, what what do you make of that? Do you think that this is does this bode well for his availability on Sunday? Do you think that there's a, maybe a, an outside move coming here? I mean, do, do you have any sense of what that could possibly mean? Well, yeah, I mean, you're letting go of uh, of Brown, you know, Bradham. I guess they wouldn't do that unless he was he was good to go for Sunday. You know, Camus Grugier Hill just came back recently, and he was always a guy that they liked. Um, T.J. Edwards will get more snaps, I guess. Nate Gary, you know, had the pick six that that any one of us probably could have made the other week. I guess now that I think about it, but yeah, I mean, it's interesting. I, I don't, <laughs> you know, for especially for Doug Peterson to come out today and like essentially guarantee a win against Dallas and then walk it back and say that he wasn't really guaranteeing a win, you know, and then, you know, giving them more bulletin board material. Then the guy who came out and gave bulletin board material to Minnesota has now been cut. So what, what, what exactly is going on here? I don't know. I guess, I mean, they, they're, they're high on Camus. I mean, they like him. So Nigel Bradham, Camus Grugier Hill, Nate Gary in base, but you're, you're rarely playing base anyway. So you're playing nickel. It's going to be Camus and Nigel Bradham and then uh, TJ Edwards and Nate Gary, I guess are your guys, you know, they're like LJ Ford a couple weeks ago too. So, I mean, I guess they're, just whatever with the linebackers right now. But Zach Brown had a terrible play yesterday where he basically had a free run at uh, at uh, 
Kurt Cousins, as some people would say, uh, ran ran right at him in a straight line and just totally whiffed on him. Didn't even come close to him. And I think he rolled out for a completion or whatever. So, wasn't the uh, you know wasn't a great uh, bulletin board material game. He didn't actually play that well either. So apparently, he's played in sixty nine percent of all defensive snaps this year for the Eagles. Now, obviously, that was you had mentioned prior to Grugier Hill um, coming back, but even with Camus coming back into the into the lineup, Kev, you got yeah. you got to expect that those depth guys are going to have to play a little bit more. I mean, and, you, and the only other linebacker I think on the roster is the guy they traded for from Atlanta, right? Duke Riley is the other yeah. one that's left. I mean, so so, yeah. so somebody's going to have to play. You know, even if even if Grugier Hill starts getting the Zach Brown men, yeah, plays and plays yeah. sixty nine seventy percent whatever, somebody else is going to have to play those other thirty percent of the of the snaps, and it's and it's got to be somewhere in the depth. I mean, I guess they like Nate Gary more than than we do. I don't know. I just I, I haven't really seen anything from Nate Gary over the last like two years or whatever that makes me think that he could be a bona fide like you know four three base defense kind of guy. I mean, they don't play a lot of base, obviously. So if you're gonna be sitting in nickel with your slot corner for most of the game anyway, I mean, I guess you could get away with Camus and and, and Nigel in there, but. Uh, I mean, otherwise, yeah. I mean, you go past it. What do you got? You got T.J. Edwards, Duke Riley. I mean, Deshaun Hall would probably be the next guy that you pull up and, and throw him back to to linebacker again. You know, and they then he was the guy who who was the converted you know defensive end that everybody was was high on in in preseason. So I, I don't know. I mean, maybe something's coming. Um, you know, Jalen Mills might be back um, this weekend, so we'll see if there's a corresponding move here. But that's kind of. Uh, it's interesting because in addition to Zach Brown saying what he said, I mean, he just hasn't been that great this year. So I don't think we can talk about an Eagles game the day after a loss like this and not talk about the quarterback, even if you have him. Well, here we go. Way Sorry. down the list here. And no, I'm not, I'm not Sorry, baiting him. We're not going to, I'm not trying to have an anti Carson Wentz position here. No, uh, Russ is going to have it. That's all right. But, you know, he completes 65% of his passes yesterday, 306 yards, two touchdowns, has the, the interception in garbage time. But they're not throwing the ball vertically at all. Uh, and yeah. I think that we're three or four weeks running now where their longest pass play is going to Miles Sanders. And I guess, is this a, a schematic issue? Is this a Carson Wentz issue? Is this the GM building an offense around a 32-year-old that can stretch the field that has a, a history of, of soft tissue injuries? I mean, what is, what is going on here with this with this offense right now? It's a combination of all that stuff. I mean, number one, I don't think that the the talent that they have at wide receiver and even even running back is as good as everybody made it out to be. You know, I mean, Zach Ertz uh, yesterday played one of his worst games that I've seen him play in an Eagles uniform. It just didn't look like he was, like, totally into the game mentally. It was kind of AWOL. Um, Nelson Aguilar, he's a nice wide receiver, three slot receiver. He's just he's just not a big play guy. He's not like a, he's not a guy who's going to step up and make a play for you, okay? Um, Alshon Jeffrey had a good game. Yeah, but he had like seven yards per catch, eight yards per catch. He needs more downfield targets. And then we can have this discussion about Alshon Jeffrey when Foles throws in the ball versus when Wentz throws in the ball. Does Wentz just not like to throw the ball down the field to him because he's a jump ball contested catch kind of guy. But when I look at his route tree, he's getting a bunch of bubble screens and things like that. So, again, even if Alshon, if Nick Foles is throwing Alshon Jeffrey the ball, what? He's not a top 25 receiver, you know, because – 
the Eagles have always predicated their offense on spreading the ball around. So it's a bunch of guys who are who are pretty good, but none of them who are like, there's no Tyreek Hill, there's no Michael Thomas here, there's no DeAndre Hopkins here. Yeah, Mac Hollins, uh, I'd honestly rather have Greg Ward out there. That was uh, um, one of the more concerning plays. I mean, it wasn't even a, a clear drop. He just showed no ability whatsoever to track the football on that play in the end zone. I mean, that, that should have been a touchdown. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, like uh, Mac Hollins had, had one where – you know, there was a thrown high to him, and he's kind of you know half half efforting it. You know, there was a, a block on the on the third down bubble screen that they called to Alshon Jeffrey, where he didn't even try throwing a block on the guy. Um, Ortega Whiteside, I don't know what he is. Dallas Goddard had a decent game. Deshaun Jackson is badly needed. Miles Sanders is their biggest downfield threat. I, I don't know what they're what they're scheming up here, but. Um, I don't. I don't think it's a Carson problem. And you can say, well, he needs to have some game eventually where he needs to put him on their back and march him down the field and just will them to victory. And, so and I, I am I mean, one I of those guys. And you've you've listened yeah. to me say that. You know, I just yeah. feel like it, it, doesn't it feel to you to some extent? And and I thought that you were making valid arguments today, and you support it with fact and data. And and so it's, I it's I, in, I Philadelphia? Like that. in Philadelphia, yes. Despite no, its, it's market it's reality, listen, it, it, it's not. I mean, I, but but the takes. I understand why the Nick Foles people feel the way they do. I mean, I really do. He just, you know, he he operated a little bit differently. You know, maybe he did throw more jump balls to Alshon and stuff like that. But if you sit there and you watch Red Zone every weekend, or you watch other teams and their skill players, like, the Eagles' wide receiver re- receiving core looks slow. Um, they don't make plays. Like even if Carson's a little bit high here or there, you know, if he's throwing just a little bit behind a guy or something like that, the Eagles receivers don't make plays that other receiving cores make. You know, I, I sit there and I look and I just, I, you know, the negatives that I wrote down for Carson. I, I think the, the worst thing about his game yesterday wasn't even a play. It was situationally, it was taking that delay a game on the third and four when the game was still in play, when it was when they were still down by two scores. You know, yeah, and there, you was, could say there was a sack could, after that, right? And there was a sack yeah. after that, and I don't even think that was his fault either, because Jordan Howard blew the blitz pickup. That was just a Mike Zimmer double A, you know, double A uh, A gap blitz, right? So, you know, they blew that blocking scheme, but they shouldn't have been at third and nine in the first place because Carson shouldn't have taken that penalty. I mean, he telegraphed one or two passes yesterday, threw a couple high to Alshon, but like, you know, these guys are typically known for they're great hands. I mean, if nothing else, they're not speed burners. We do expect Alshon to make some contested or tough catches. Zach Ertz to catch one or two of the tie. Matt Collins will give you some kind of effort, but I just think it's a combination of things. I don't, I don't think they're scheming things up. I don't like them having 12 passes thrown behind the line of scrimmage. I mean, if you if you know you don't have a lot of strength downfield, at least you know come up with something better than the Alshon Alshon Jeffrey smoke screen because that's not working either. So we got done in the first segment talking about how you know maybe the coach isn't to blame if the front office hasn't set him up with a good enough roster. Yeah. Let's talk about wide receiver under Howie Roseman in terms of his draft. He's drafted nine wide receivers uh, in his front office position. You go back to 2010, fifth round, Riley Cooper. You can go back to 2012 when they took Marvin McNutt in the sixth round. Mm -hmm. You've got Jordan Matthews and Josh Huff in the second and third round of 2014. 2015, they took Nelson Aguilar, who's been a mixed bag. Mac Hollins and Shelton Gibson in 2017 in the fourth and fifth round, respectively. And then, of course, this year, J.J. Ortega-Whiteside in the second round. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe one somewhat decent wide receiver. Well, it's a passing It's a eight. passing league. It's a passing league, and they can't draft wide receivers or cornerbacks. So, you know, that makes it really hard on themselves and then they have to stretch the salary cap by 
you know, bringing in wide receivers via free agents, you know. But, I mean, think about it. it, it no Eagles wide receiver, even a healthy Deshaun Jackson this year. I mean, I don't. It, I mean, that's not applicable. N slash A. But uh, are any of them in the top twenty-five? No, no, I mean, no, 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 no. There's no Eagles receiver even even coming into the year. Like if you're looking at a fantasy football list or something like that, like nobody's taking a wide an Eagles wide receiver or a skill player in like the first three or four rounds of their fantasy draft. You know what I mean? So it was always predicated on spreading the ball around and getting a lot of different people involved and that was the strength of it because you always knew that you were going to have somebody on a fourth corner or a third corner or something like that and you'd have a, a mismatch some something that you would like across the field so for people to say well you know Alshon's better you know when Nick Foles is throwing him the ball but but so what even Nick Foles throwing him the ball I don't think Alshon Jeffrey's a, a top 25 receiver you know so when people say well Carson you know throws to this guy and he throws to this guy and he throws to this guy I mean it's kind of the point like that's what what they are and what they wanted to be and, and by virtue of that they just don't have a top playmaking kind of guy. I mean, who are who? Are, it's kind of like well, a one of the plays that, right? It's like who's it's like who's taking the last shot? Who's taking the last shot in a basketball game? Like if you're the Eagles, who are you dialing up a play for? Who's going to catch it? One of the plays that really stuck out to me yesterday was the uh, non-call and the pass interference going down the field to Nelson Aguilar. And I almost feel like his his reputation yeah. is preceding himself at this point. It's like he doesn't make that play. He doesn't have the ability to win in that one-on-one situation. Every now and then he'll get behind a secondary and he'll reel one in. But when he has to go up and make a play one-on-one down the field, 20, 30 yards. I mean, he got destroyed off that route, and I'm not even so sure that it was pass interference, to be perfectly honest with you. I mean, no, I, I mean, just think Char- he, and, I just yeah, think he no, just got ahead, physically man. dominated at the end of that route. Yeah, I mean, and, and Charles Davis was doing color, and he pointed that out, that he thought there was kind of hand-fighting there going on for most of the time, which is why they let that go. Maybe there's a little bit of extension at the end of it, but, you know, again, like people got to remember, Nelson Aguilar is, is a slot receiver. You know, I mean, like, he's not supposed to be running, like, sideline routes, like, deep down the field, you know, and he had to do a lot of it last year because, you know, again, they lost Mike Mike Williams in game number two, right? So this is the second straight year where the deep threat has not been there through the early part of the year. Deshaun's out, Mike Williams was out last year, so, you know, Aguilar's thrust into a role that he's really not that good at, and they only went into the, the season with one deep guy, one vertical stretching kind of guy on the roster, so... You know, again, I think you just got to lean on your on your bread and butter. Then, if you don't have that, you know, throw your seam to Zach Ertz, throw your mesh to Dallas Goddard. You know, if you're going to run that tunnel screen, that smoke screen, run it to Aguilar because he's a faster yards after catch kind of guy. I don't know why they run it to to Jeffrey when he's literally the slowest guy you have on the field. All right, that is Kevin Kincaid. You can read all of his stuff. He he writes he's a all day. I think six thousand words he had today. Cross yeah, brought that six. Thousand words. Yeah. I hope people aren't sick of sick of my voice by now. Sick of my style. I Never. need to get well, a, one of you guys of, to kind of break it up in there. If they were sick of the written voice, now they got the actual voice. The voice yeah. of the Philadelphia blue collar seven for seven fan. That's Kevin. That's Kincaid. right. Yeah. I, I was him. listening. I was listening to your uh, Phillies discussion. I, I I just hope that they get a the Phillies bring in a blue collar somebody that lunch yeah, lunch, lunch pal for sure. That's what yeah. that's what they need. That's my hope. I would ask your thoughts on uh, the Philadelphia Union's chances this uh, this weekend in their playoff game, but uh, if you do, let me know so I can go to the bathroom. Oh, stop! <laughs> <laughs> I got Ryan Lennox, our producer, laughing in the background. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure you'll be breaking that down over on uh, it's always soccer in Philadelphia podcast, part of the Crossing yeah. Broad Podcast Network. I'll be going to the bathroom while I wait for something to actually happen in a baseball game. How about that? Wow! Oh. Shots fired. This Man. is terrible. All right, cut him off. Get him. All right, here. Kevin. Thanks for uh, for joining us. You can find him over on Bye, Twitter Kevin. at Kevin See underscore Kev. Kincaid. That's K I N K E A D. On the other side of this break, 
We're open for business. We're open to talk about any of the Philadelphia teams, of course. I think there are still a few things that we left unsaid in the Phillies discussion, the Eagles discussion. And there's a Sixers thing here that I think is is of note, and it came to us uh, from 538. So we'll get to that on the other side. Of course, if you want to call in, 888-728-9941. Again, that's 888-728-9941. You're listening to Crossing Broadcast Radio on 610 ESPN Radio. Every day. The men and women of the United States Marine Corps demonstrate their commitment to defend the American way of life. Since 1775, we have served our nation as a force in readiness. From combat operations to humanitarian assistance in every corner of the world. No matter where the mission takes us today, or wherever our country needs us tomorrow, we always remember the land we call home. As Marines, we take a stand for each other, for our nation, for us all, the few, the proud, the Marines. Introducing the YMCA. What, you already know the Y? Or so you think. Sure, you know the Y for a swim, a workout, even a game of hoops. But did you know we're more than that? We're a cause. When you take your jump shot at the Y, someone else is getting job training. Take a cardio class while kids are in an after-school enrichment program. Practice your downward-facing dog as a teen practices her leadership skills. That's the Y. We work with people no matter their age, income, or background and give them the opportunity to learn, grow, and thrive, all with one simple goal in mind, to strengthen our community. And we've got so much more that does just that. So while you might think of the Y as that place for lifting weights, we're also about lifting entire communities. Introducing the Y. We're so much more than a place. We're a cause. Visit ymca.net slash more. And we are back, crossing broadcast radio on 610 ESPN Radio. The Eagles are just a few days away now from going up against their arch nemesis, the Dallas Cowboys. And Jason Garrett has had a lot of success against the spread per our sports betting expert, Bob Wankel. Bob, hit him with the stats. Let's get a little degenerate talk in here. Uh, So the Cowboys are a nightmare as a short favorite at home under Jason Garrett. They are 2 and 8 against the spread in night uh when they're favored at home by 3 points or less. Really? 2 and 8 against the spread. 3 and 7 straight up. So it's not like they're winning and not covering. They have been terrible in this spot. And when you go in any situation home or away, they're 9, 19, and 2 against the spread. They have been a nightmare bet for people as a short favorite at home and really on the road as well. I wouldn't bet the Cowboys ever. So I actually feel pretty good about the Eagles this week. Bad coach, bad I quarterback. I hated them against the Vikings. I actually I got one right, guys. I, I had the Vikings. I had them pretty strong in that game. I wasn't shocked by the outcome, quite frankly. I would be shocked. It's a trap. 
I would be shocked if they go down to Dallas on Sunday night. That's what he had as the well. title for his video, yeah. right? Yeah. yeah. Come on, don't you pay attention, Russ, to the site? Of course I do. I always do. Everyone gets caught up with this. Uh, Kirk Cousins stinks. Well, guess what? I mean, he owns the Eagles, and when you can give him time, and he has all day, he can carve you up. Yeah. And that's exactly what you saw yesterday. I wasn't surprised by that. But I will be surprised if the Eagles don't go down and play well, and frankly, if they don't win on Sunday night. I believe it's over the last seven years or so, the Eagles and Cowboys typically tend to alternate wins. And it, it usually works its way out that the Eagles play better in Dallas and the Cowboys play better in Philadelphia for whatever reason. We talked about this. I think you had brought this up with Kevin, but um, this feels like a game that Carson Wentz kind of has to go out and win for you, right? It's on national TV. It's a Sunday night game. It's going to be a marquee matchup. It's one of the biggest matchups on the entire Sunday night football slate. You can argue one of the biggest matchups of any national game in the NFL this season. It will be hyped in Philly, in Dallas, all across the league. I mean, this has to be the game where Carson Wentz goes out and plays like the transcendent kind of quarterback that fans believed that he was in his MVP or or you know what would have been his MVP season a, a couple seasons ago. This feels like he has to go out and put the team on his shoulders, right? Truthfully, I, I feel like what we do when we have... When we talk about quarterbacks, whether it be in this city or on a more national perspective or a more national level, is that you have to be one extreme or the other, right? It's either this guy stinks or he's great. And I feel like people get carried away with Carson Wentz. But that being said, especially here, it's like this this ultra defense of him, very aggressive defense of Carson Wentz. I'll say this. You look at the stat line. It's very good. You see the limitations that they have with their skill position players. It's it's clear as day that he's not getting enough help. I can admit that, and I, I can tell you that. But I do think at some point he's got to go out and just have that transcendent game where he does put the team on his back. And I know it's a narrative-based thing. I know it's a little bit silly to suggest that, I guess. But it, it, to me, it feels like if you are this elite top three, top four, top five quarterback that everybody says that he is – at some point, I have to see a guy drop a ball, and then he just makes the next play anyway. Like he's he's got to do it at some point. I, and I'm tired of talking about 2017. I'm sorry. Like it's, it was two years ago now. It's good math. Every quarterback in the NFL, whether they're good or or bad, is a product of what's around them. Every quarterback. I don't know. I'm, I feel like I watch Aaron Rodgers prop up a average at best offense for years. I disagree. Yeah, but he's always had he's always had guys who could get open downfield. Rodgers is also a guy who I think has gotten away with having. I think he's got a forty and forty one record over his last eighty one games. Yeah, I mean he's he's certainly somebody who tends to I, elevate the lack of weapons that he has, but it, it doesn't necessarily result I, in I th- like a twelve and four record consistently. I think he's the best quarterback in the NFL. Okay. If I had to rank them, right? Okay. I put Aaron Rodgers number one. Who's number two? <laughs> We're not prepared to do this, are we? Uh, that being said, like but, I think the Carson Wentz is a top ten quarterback. Like yes, I'm not I don't think he's. Oh, see, now I think Russ is not. Yeah, you're out of your mind. <laughs> Come on, Russ. How can you not put him in the top ten? How can you not put a who is out there that's better than Carson Wentz? Since Come on. when is a checkdown specialist wow. supposed to be a, a top <laughs> See, ten? See, this is Joe, Joe Montana won this is four Super about. Bowls throwing checkdowns. This the West Coast and Tom Brady that. and Tom Brady's won multiple Super Bowls being a checkdown quarterback. Yes. What well, what do you? <laughs> Can, can, I can't come up with six quarterbacks. Okay, that I would put ahead of Carson Wentz. Let's play. Let's play the uh, the the stupid narrative. 
Nick Foles gets installed as the quarterback. And on the way to a Super Bowl run, there's a shrine put up to him in the locker room. Now, you can say that that's stupid, it's over the top, it's ridiculous, which it is. Does that make but, him the 15th best quarterback in the NFL? I can't believe no. now I'm coming to the defense of Carson well, Wentz. No, no, no. We because said top 10. He's a top 15. Crazy he's person. a top 15 I told you this was where it was going to go. He's easily top 15. Top 10, questionable. You need. You can't name me 10 guys better than him. Even our producer on the other you side of the glass. He's a giant like the Eagles is looking at you like right now like you're an idiot. I just wanted to point out. I don't actually believe this. I wanted to just get San Filippo riled up, and I did. I was successful. Stop it. I, so you do just, believe? So he is a top yeah. ten quarterback. But okay, I, I do think that people are. Well, then, within, if you have a top, I, I do think that people. Listen, top, I think no, people I'm are within their right. I'm going to stop within their right to question whether no. or not he's the guy who can consistently Russ, lead you st- to the promise time. Because aside from 2017, where he got you most of the way there, time, the f- time, he didn't get you. <laughs> he's not the one who the got you to out. the Super Bowl. He's time not the out. one who had the performance of a lifetime in a Super Bowl. People are allowed to question whether he's this Ross. Top three potential quarterback. Russ, if you're if you agree that he's a top ten quarterback in the NFL, right? You're you now agree with this. He's a top ten quarterback in the NFL. Sure, Bob. You say potential. He's yes, a, he's top a top ten, 10 quarterback. He's a top ten quarterback in the NFL. What more could you ask for? You have one of the ten best quarterbacks in the game. He's in the top third of the league. What more could you ask for for that? Now, if you put better players around him, can he get better? Yes. But if just what based on what they have, he's still top ten. Remember, through, I think it was two games. And Nick Foles is not top ten. I didn't say Nick Foles is top ten. So we, Don't put the, words in my mouth. So where's the argument here? Why, are, why is everybody on top of Carson Wentz all the time? Whoa. It doesn't make any sense. You sounded like you were getting a little bit upset over it, there. It's Listen, stupid. Here's the, this is, I guess, the counter. I think it was through two games. Uh, Next Gen Stats had tracked that he was attempting the most tight window throws in the NFL. This is the only question that I have. And, and I think this one is fair. Does Carson Wentz always display the best decision-making in the throws that he makes? Can he physically get the ball to those tight windows? Absolutely. He has shown time and time again the ability to do it. How was that but, throw to Miles Sanders for the touchdown? It was fantastic. Okay, just want just, to... But, just, but yes. this is the problem. We're saying he doesn't have the weapons. He doesn't have the requisite weapons to be able to bring in those balls and to get into the end zone, correct? Maybe, and this is part of a flaw of the GM and the front office and and the roster that they've compiled around him, maybe those guys aren't capable of making those plays. Maybe Carson has to fundamentally change the way that he plays the position to put those guys into more advantageous situations for them because they clearly are not able to haul in these tight window throws. Well, wait, and I'm not saying wait, it's wait, his wait, fault, because it's not. Well, th- so but wait. if they can't bring it in, then he's got to get those guys into space. He's got to change how the way it, that he plays the position. How is that on the quarterback? That's that's on the coach. And I told well, you, I'd be- say it's on the front office for not putting well, the yes, weapons around. I, I agree. I agree. But and I will I will get to what I was going to say. What I, the argument we were having off air prior to this all happening. Here's the unpopular opinion. Your coach and your general manager of the Philadelphia Eagles are not nearly as good as you think they are. And everybody loves them because they brought a Super Bowl championship here two years ago, and that's great. But is it possible that maybe as a coach and as a general manager, they caught lightning in a bottle? Absolutely. All right, hi. I'm going to chime in on this one. Here's what I'll say about Doug Peterson, though. And I think that this is a little bit harsh. Now, if you want to evaluate the GM the way that you are, I'm on board with that because – 
he's, I think that he's overlooked defensive end here. Uh, I think that he's drafted poorly there. Yeah. Uh, I think that the secondary is obviously a mess. Kevin said it earlier. We're talking about a, an NFL that is built on speed. Your secondary has been bad. Your receiving is, or your receivers have been bad. So, okay, that's cool. On board with that. But Doug Peterson took a team with its backup against the wall, injury after devastating injury two seasons ago, and won a Super Bowl. Last season, quarterback goes down again. They have every right to fold. Hey, we won last season. No big deal. We'll get him in 2020, right? We'll get him in 2020. And, or we'll get him in 2019. And here we are. They, they recover, and they make the postseason. With everybody hurt again, I just don't know how you can say that he isn't a good coach after these last two seasons. I think that last year was almost just as impressive as 2017. I'm just going to point out, and this is the one that I do actually believe, Charlie Manuel was a guy that people really got behind and believed in and thought, you know, got the troops together and motivated them, right? But I think you could still make a statistical argument that Charlie Manuel was a guy that the Phillies won in spite of, not necessarily because of. We'll have to talk about it another you know, time. Next week. Russ, we have a very special guest joining us here on Crossing Broadcast right now. Uh, was going to join us on Snow the Goalie uh, part of the show earlier, but the, the flight went out to uh, to Calgary. They just landed in Calgary. James Van Riemsdyk from the Philadelphia Flyers joining us here on the program. JVR, thanks for uh, taking the time. Appreciate you copping on the phone with us as soon as you get off the plane. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, no problem. Hey, listen, I, I wanted to ask you first off. You, you know, you guys have gotten off to a, a really good start as a team. You know, two zero and one after what appeared to be like a less than inspiring training camp from the outside. Anyway, um, was there a different feeling in the locker room that there was a chance for this thing to start off on a real positive note? Though, did you guys kind of have a feeling, even though you weren't playing the greatest preseason games, that once once the games mattered, that this team was going to be going in the right direction? Yeah, you know what, again, it's always interesting in the preseason. I think uh, uh, sometimes there's too, ma- too many things to look into from the outside perspective. I think as a team, we were just trying to get on the right page, um, on the same page, I should say, uh, as each other. Obviously, we've got a lot of new guys, new coaching staff, uh, that sort of stuff. So we're trying to implement a bunch of different things. And, um, again, I think we were making good strides and continue to progress our game. And then, obviously, again, uh, you want to do whatever you can to to get uh, get yourself ready for game one of the regular season and get off on a good foot. So I thought we were doing those things. And, obviously, again, uh, we're still doing some things as far as trying to build that chemistry on the ice and that sort of stuff. And hopefully we uh, continue to keep getting better and better with that. When we had AV on the show before camp began, um, he said he didn't want to know anything about last season. Everyone had a clean slate. And not that you personally had a bad season last year, but was that still good to kind of know that when you were coming in this year, you were going to have a fresh start with someone new? Um, yeah, you know, that's a, that's a good question. I think, uh, again, certainly there's things for everyone to learn from every season, good and bad. So uh, as players, you, again, you, you usually you have a chance to reflect after every season um, the things that you liked about your game, things you want to improve upon, and that sort of thing. And then certainly, again, obviously uh, having a new coach come in and, and that sort of stuff, I'm sure, uh, again, he wanted to just implement things uh, the way that he wanted to. Obviously, the reason we had a new coach is because we underachieved as a team. So certainly, again, um, everyone, I think, had a, had a better level to play to as a, individually as players. So, uh I guess, again, when you look at it that way, I guess that's a good thing that he came in like that with that mindset and uh, 
kind of just let everyone I wanted to just have open open eyes and watch everyone and kind of go from there yeah you're, you're being asked to play a slightly different role uh, than you have in the in the last couple of seasons um, and although although your name hasn't shown up in the box score yet I mean, if you look deeper look at the way you've been playing uh, it shows that you've been one of the better play drivers on the team so far through three games um, you're really getting some good chances the power play I mean it's, it's only a matter of time I think before uh, before one gets in for you um, how, how do you like that new role and then I have a follow-up question to that, like it, it, to ask about: is it, is it easy to stick with it and, and continue to play what really is a successful style, even if the points aren't coming right away? Yeah, you know that's a that's a good question. I think again, obviously as a player, uh, the more versatile you can be, um, I think the more valuable you are to a to a team. And obviously, again, I played a probably pretty particular role for most of the last few years. But that being said. Uh, Again, it's always interesting how different players get typecast into different uh, generalizations. I, I think we're going over to play at the World Championships. I got a chance to play in some different roles over there as well uh, at the end of last season and played some defensive roles and played some and on the matchup line over there. So I think, again, I was able to show some different things. And, again, it's been a while since I've played in different situations like that. So so that being said, for uh, for this season, for our team, obviously, again, the coach is looking at some different different uh, combinations and options. And usually, again, as a player, you're just, you're just worried about there and going out there and putting your best foot forward no matter what those uh, those things are. And you, you kind of uh, go from there. And like you said, obviously, the power play, I think uh, we've been moving it around pretty good, getting a lot of great looks, but uh, hasn't seemed to be falling um, as much as we'd like uh, so far, but uh, I think again, there's definitely some uh, things to be happy with in that sense. And as a line, I think again, uh, the first couple games uh, we did, did a lot of good things. We want again, first and foremost, we wanted to just be uh, plus and uh, not give up anything. And obviously, I think we've created some chances as well. But certainly, we played some pretty. Uh, solid uh, two-way hockey to, to start the year. Yeah, and you mentioned the power play. You guys haven't gotten one in yet, but you know the fact that the second unit has, I think, three goals in three games, um, that kind of that has to take a little bit of pressure off you guys, right, and that the second group is able to come out and, and put the puck in the net? Yeah, you know what? It's, it's interesting. I think it's a good to have that healthy kind of competition. I know in, uh, in Toronto, the last couple of years I was there, we kind of basically had a 1A and 1B type unit set up where depending on who was hot, that was who was going to get the start of the power play and that sort of stuff. So I think it's healthy to have that. And we had two get really, good, really good seasons of power play stuff when we did it like that. So, again, obviously uh, this year it's nice that we have that production uh, coming um, coming early on. I think, again, even our unit, we've gotten a couple kind of weirder sort of goals. But uh, as far as like off the face-off play, not really as much off the sets that we're looking for yet. But uh, I think, again, we're moving it around well. We're getting a lot of good looks. And, uh, again, a law of averages over, over time, uh, they'll start going in for us. Fans usually only get to see what they get to see when the cameras are on. I think some have felt like they've gotten to see a little bit more because of the behind-the-glass special that's been going on in, on the NHL network. Um, when, when you sit back as a player who had a stint here, came back last season uh, in what was a very tumultuous year, change of coach, change of GM, and then you look at the way that this team has played to this point. If you were to take people behind the scenes, something that they don't see you know, on the camera, uh, is there something that has managed to, to bring this team closer together? Does it feel like this is a more cohesive team at this point? And could maybe a little bit of that be attributed to starting the season in Europe? Yeah, you know, that's a good question. I think just looking back to last season, I think a lot of us, 
kind of again we are we didn't meet expectations obviously didn't make the playoffs and that was our goal as a team to do that and kind of go from there so you get kind of that bad taste in your mouth like going into the summer and I think you're on your toes even that much more coming into uh into a season and uh, obviously again we have some new faces new coaching staff and um getting that chance to go over to Europe obviously away from our regular routine kind of like that long road trip uh you get a ton of time to to spend with uh, with your teammates and get to know people a little bit better and bond and, and that sort of stuff. So I think, yes, like you said, that was super valuable for us to, to help get on the same page on the ice and also you get get a chance to know the, some of the guys that you may not know as well um, off the ice. So I think that that was really valuable for us and uh, really valuable for that chemistry of our group. Yeah, Russ mentioned behind the glass, JBR, and, and you know we got we all got a kick out of the fact that you said a lot of guys don't dress well and need to step up their game. Now, I don't want to ask you to dime anyone out who's a bad dresser. I know you don't want to do that. But you're more than welcome to. <laughs> but, is there someone, but is there someone else besides yourself who is a pretty snazzy dresser on the road? Yeah, you know, I'll... Uh... Nolan Patrick, I think, usually is my answer for that. He's got some great suits, uh, some good style overall, so I'll give him uh, the cake on that. That's good. Does anyone take it too far? <laughs> with what they're, what they're uh, with fashion forward? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know what? I haven't seen that actually too much. I think for the most part, guys are pretty conservative with that stuff, but uh, um, you'll see some guys bust out some, some cool suits every once in a while, but I haven't seen anything that's uh, too crazy yet. Does someone in your position as a vet, do, do the young guys ever come to you asking for advice on, on the best way to, to put themselves out there uh, in terms of being on camera? They know that there's going to be cameras that are going to catch them in their fashion, like... Do any of the young guys ever come up to you and, and ask for advice, or is this just a situation where they might, like, run out to Marshalls and get, like, a, a $30 <laughs> you, you, you know what? It's kind of interesting, I think, in the sense of, uh, again, nowadays, like, how much technology plays a role in the world and that these guys coming in the league are basically growing up with, with that right at their fingertips, whether it's uh, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, uh, that sort of stuff. So they're aware of all that sort of stuff. So I feel like they're definitely uh, – you kind of there's so much more information right there, so it seems like uh, again they have a they have a decent grasp on things uh, coming into coming into the league and that sort of stuff than uh, than what it was when I came in. The last thing I, I want to ask you, but I know you want to get into the hotel. It's been a, a you know, long trip already for you guys. The travel's been crazy, right, to start the season. How do you handle it? Are you someone who sleeps on the plane? You do something else? You play cards, read, binge watch TV shows? Like, what do you, what do, you do to kind of get through all those hours just sitting on planes? Yeah, you know, certainly it's been a, an interesting uh, start to the season as far as the travel that was starting in Europe and then heading all the way out to uh, Vancouver and getting that huge time change right when we get back. But, uh, yeah, for me, I think, again, you got to try to take advantage of the rest and, and uh, making sure you're really – on top of your sleep and your recovery and that sort of stuff. But as far as on the planes and stuff, yeah, I'm pretty big into binge watching uh, shows and uh, watching different movies and stuff like that. So um, I watched uh, on this trip. I watched the Dave Chappelle stand up and the oh, Bill Burr stand up. It was so good, wasn't so it, man? I got, I got yeah, those, those guys are pretty classic. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I got to watch watch a couple of those and all a few other TV shows. Uh, that QB one. Oh, oh yeah. watch, watch, watching that one as well about the, the top uh, high school yeah. quarterback recruits. Uh, so yeah, into some of those reality type ones like that and the sports uh, as well. That's awesome. That's we, awesome. We always have a debate here about what the best hockey movie is. Oh, here we if go. You, uh, if you had the opportunity to pick one hockey movie to have, the only one that you can have the rest of your life to watch, which hockey uh, movie do you pick? Uh, you know what? Um, I guess... 
being an American and playing internationally, I'm just gonna have to go with Miracle for that one. Oh, I think, uh, okay, it's a good a great, one. Okay. Uh, great one. Yeah, uh, great, great story. Obviously, and I thought they did a really good job uh, portraying that. So I'll go with that one. But yeah, there's obviously some some other good options for that. But I think I'm gonna go with Miracle. For Let that me give one. you a, a toss up: Slapshot or Goon? Uh, ooh, um, I think I mean Slapshot's just a classic, so I don't think you can pick against that one in many circumstances. So I, I, I tend to like more of those ones, like the the classics, like that one, Young Blood, uh, Mystery Alaska. Those uh, those are all really good. Th- thanks, JB. I appreciate that because you know Russ is Russ is the young guy and he sticks with Goon, and I keep telling him that yeah. Slapshot is the way you got to go. And everybody that comes on the show kind of agrees with me, so uh, I appreciate you yeah. siding with me on that. Hey, listen, thanks. Just ag- inflated his ego <laughs> even more, JB. <laughs> thanks. Ag- <laughs> Thanks again for taking the time. I know, as uh, like I said, you guys just got off the plane in Calgary. Get some rest tonight and uh, and into tomorrow, and uh, have a great game in Calgary. We'll see you guys when you get back uh, on Saturday. All righty, sounds good. Thanks for all right. Me. Take care. That's James Van Riemsdyk of the Flyers. Hops on here right at the end. Russ uh, we carried over a little bit long, but that's okay. You can't uh, can't not get him into the show. So uh, you want to wrap this puppy up because Absolutely. we go back into regular ESPN programming. Absolutely. So thanks for listening to the uh, premiere here of Crossing Broadcast Radio on six ten ESPN Radio. Go check out the show. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, wherever else you get your podcasts. Of course, go check out the other shows on the Crossing Broad Podcast Network, including Snow the Goalie, Crossed Up, It's Always Soccer in Philadelphia. There's also Broadlines and CBFC, Crossing Broad FC, for your international soccer news. Go check out those shows. And, of course, follow us uh, on Twitter at AntSanPhilly, at BobWankleCB, at JoyOnBroad, and uh, Kevin, at Kevin underscore Kincaid. Also, check out CrossingBroad.com, where you can go to find uh, all the news. Of course, we all have uh, credentials for the different teams in Philadelphia, so we try to give you that inside access in a fun-to-read manner. So go check out CrossingBroad.com for all of your uh, all your Philly sports needs. So for Anthony, for Bob, for Kevin, thanks for listening to the show. And uh, now we're going to continue on with some ESPN programming here on 610 ESPN Radio Philadelphia.